So as you've just been told, uh, we're about to go weekly, as Sam puts it. And I must say, as he said, we're about to go weekly, I was thinking, I hope to goodness you start to come weekly. And what I want to do tonight is to speak about what I think it is that God wants to be doing in our midst. It's really essential to have a vision of what it is that God wants to do. And it's very important to have that and helpful because if you like it, you buy into it and commit to it. And if you simply don't like it, you, you don't. And it's important that each of us is planted where we can grow. So I think it can only be helpful to talk about this. One of the things that Jesus does to each of us when we answer his invitation to come to him is he commissions us. You can think of it very, very simply like this. And I'm not going to spend very long on it at all. But think of, of Simon, the fisherman. And think about what happened to him when Jesus calls him to follow him. Do you remember? He says, you are Simon. But going forward, you will become Peter. And you will no longer be a fisherman, but you will be a fisher of men. Do you remember that? I just need to see that we're on the same page and you know I'm not making a story up, it actually happened. And, and it, it's important because three things are going on there, at least. Jesus identifies Simon and he calls him by name, which is to say, it's like he's saying, I know you, I know you, and I've got a plan for your life and I'm speaking to you directly. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he's done that to you. He says, I know my sheep, and they know my voice, and I call them by name. So we'll all have a different story, but I could tell you a story, I may well end up doing so, of how he called me by name. But he also says something significant to Simon Peter, and I must be careful not to spend too long on this, but he says, at the moment, you are Simon, but you are going to be Peter. And there's a massive significance to that, because in those days, names carried a bundle of meaning. A bit like in medieval England, that you were called Mr. Baker because you were a baker. It meant something. You were called Mr. Smith because you were a blacksmith, something like that. Well, he was saying to Simon, in modern day language, you are Sandy, you're all over the shop at the moment, but by the time I finish with you, your character will be so changed, you will be known as Rocky, because that's what Peter actually means. So he says, I can see change in your character coming, and I can see change in your purpose coming. At the moment, the purpose of your life is you just go fishing for fish. But if you follow me, you're going to find the purpose for your life is you're going to be a fisher of people. People's lives are going to change because of you. And I suspect I haven't said anything that you don't know, and I suspect that I've just described a journey that each of us is on, because that's what it means to follow Christ. But if it's true of individuals, it's even more true of communities. That Jesus looks upon different gatherings of his followers and says, I know you, I know you by name. And I'm going to be at work amongst you and I'm going to be changing you. And through you, whole communities, in fact the world, is going to change. Jesus said, didn't he, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. And in this passage, have we still got it up? No, well, it doesn't matter. 
because you probably remember it, but in the passage that you had from Acts 2, you might, yeah, you can see, this is like, I've often thought of this as a snapshot, like a postcard that you might have received from the people living in Jerusalem who could have described the community they'd become part of. And I'm not the only church leader, there are so many church leaders that fall upon this passage to highlight many of the things that were present that made this little group of people such a compelling group of people. Because it is a remarkable story that initially such a small group of followers become a group that literally turns the world the right side up. And God is still doing this, is still his way of operating. And I'm just going to pluck out of here five things that I see. There are more than five, but I, I am plucking out five, which is, would be great, I think, for us to aspire to as God's people. And as far as I know, the whole world over, without exception, where these five qualities are grafted in by God, other people want to join, and God's kingdom spreads. So they're important. And the very first one is to highlight the word of God. You could give it the natty heading, let the word of God grow. You can see up there that it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to other things. But I'm just going to stop at this. Now, why is this so incredibly helpful and important? Well, I can think of a number of, of reasons why the word of God is so totally foundational. And the first one is because through the word of God, we make connection with God. That is his primary source of connecting us with the truth about his son, Jesus Christ, and about him. So it, it happens to be my story, um, which is very convenient for illustrating this, but when I was a belligerent not follower of Jesus Christ, it was somebody actually in a very gentle and winsome way challenging me to read an account of Jesus' life himself. They gave me a copy, actually, of John's Gospel. I ended up reading this book of John. And through reading the scriptures for me, John's Gospel, you could say I encountered Jesus Christ. I certainly got to a place where I was more informed about him and could make a connection to God. Now, I can't be the only person in the building tonight who owes uh, the fact of following Jesus to having encountered him through reading the word of God. So stick a hand up if you two share that story. If I am the only one, I should wonder what group I am leading. Uh, well, go on right up. I, I want to be encouraged. <laughs> well, even with my double vision, it's still a significant amount of people here. So good. You guys are kosher. I don't know about the rest of you. But um, this is how of God's primary way, isn't it? Of anchoring us, revealing himself to us. So, so the very first reason for reading the word of God is connection. Another good reason for reading the word of God and speaking from it each week is direction. If you want to know principally the ways that God wants you to walk in, it's going to be through his word. We read in Psalm 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that's the principle where he does it. And the more cumulative, little by little by little, as you get familiar with the God of the Scriptures, you get more familiar with his ways. 
So connection and direction and protection keeps you from danger by directing you in paths of light. And then the bit we probably don't like so much, correction. That um, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for, amongst other things, correction and training in righteousness. As you get older, you will discover there are very few people who have authority to talk into your life that you will listen to. When you're a child, everyone seems to want to tell you the right way to go and what you're doing wrong. But as you get more senior and as, as you get just older, you become more left alone to live life to your own devices. And that's not altogether healthy because someone needs to be able to speak into your life and tell you the best way to live and God's the right to do that. And through the scriptures, he can tell us how we live life. And that's partly why I read the scriptures, actually. So that through the prompting of his Holy Spirit, he has permission to correct me and lead me. So we've had connection, direction, protection. And this next heading is a bit iffy, but it, it fits, which is perfection. And the reason it's iffy is because none of us are ever going to actually be made perfect this side of heaven. But the reason it's a good word to use is because actually we are a work in progress. Are we not? And little by little, this is part of what it means to follow Christ, is he wants to shape our characters to be more and more and more Christ-like. And the word for this is holiness, and it's what God loves to see amongst his people. Now, you wouldn't know anything about all of this except through God's word. We need his instruction. Because if you and I were left to make it up, you'd make it up wrong. So I'm not going to spend very long on each of these five points, but that was saying they let the word grow in them. And I hope that week by week, my vision for this service is we will become ever increasingly a reliable place to unpack the word of God together. Now, the speakers from the front are not just going to give you their best thoughts made up five minutes before the service. They're going to have studied diligently the scriptures and share what it actually has to say so that week by week by week we get strengthened and led in God's direction. Okay, so that's the first one. Let the word of God grow. I'm not sure that these five points need to be taken in any order, but the next one I'm going to talk about is let the worship flow. You can read in the passage that daily they met together in the temple. They went there to pray. And what we're doing when we worship is incredibly important. Because what we're doing is we are deliberately making space in our lives to say, Lord Jesus, you reign here. This is your space. And we are your children and we are your servants. And this is a much bigger struggle than you and I might ever want to let on about. Because the default template built into all of our lives is absolutely the opposite. It's kind of me first culture. And it's so easy to illustrate that. You know, if, if, if a school picture of the whole school went up on the wall, the chances are 99% out of 100 probably. The first person you look for in that picture is me. I don't mean Rupert, I mean you yourself. Because that's how we live. 
And if we don't watch it, we go into the default template where the person we live to please is ourselves. That's, you know, the person who invented the iPhone and the i everything else, you know, they got it really in one. That, that appeals greatly, a world centered around my likes and dislikes. But when we come to worship, we deliberately take the crown off our head, place it at, on the floor at Jesus' feet and say, no, actually, deliberately as an act of will, I've come to submit to you. It, it's a very easy thing to say. It's quite a difficult thing to do. But week by week by week, this worship of the King of Kings is absolutely central to what we're about. And I hope, as I look into the future of this service, that's what we'll do. And there's a sense, I, I love it, there's a sense when we get to grips with God in worship, when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, is that we're pleasing his heart. You know, I don't know how many other buildings around Jester Square or this area, I just don't know when Jesus appears in those buildings, as it were, when he looks in. I don't know how many loving hearts of devotion he meets. But I want him to know that every time that we meet, he will always meet us with our hearts desire to serve him and praise him and enthrone him. So that's what they did. And what we're after, this is the last thing I'll say about worship, what we're after is worship with integrity. That means what we're after is expressing what's really going on in our hearts out to God in devotion. That's more important than the songs we sing or uh, the volume we sing them at or anything like that. It is actually that what's going on inside is reflected in what we're doing. So we've had let the words grow and let the worship flow. Let the love show. One of the things about this group of people that met daily in the temple courts was they were incredibly attractive to be with in the sense that there was a warmth in their community. Why wouldn't you want to be part of it? And, and you can read that in between the description of everything they were doing. It was, they were very sacrificial. They gave their time to each other, that's clear. They opened their homes to each other, that's clear. They shared their possessions together. That's clear. There's a very telling phrase that they met with glad and sincere hearts. Someone once explained that word sincere to me in the following way. They said, literally, the derivation of the word sincere is without wax. And they use this illustration that apparently in those days in the marketplace, you could buy goods and shady traders would fill in the dents of say a silver vase or something like that, with wax and paint it over. But this group of people, they didn't wear camouflage. The way they reacted to each other was sincere. It was, it was trustworthy. And you knew, evidently they knew, as they belonged to this group, that they would be loved. They would be accepted. And that boggles my mind, because in the description we have of the early communities that followed Christ, they were such a divergent group of people. Much more divergent, actually, than we will ever be. And, and I'll illustrate what I mean. They had slaves and free people meeting together and worshipping God. Well, I mean, that's, that's a massive tradition. 
But they overcame that division in their worship of the Lord. I don't think you need to be a genius or all that socially aware to know that we live in a time when people feel incredibly lonely and are amazingly disconnected. I think it's one of the most wonderful gifts that God gives us, which is a community to belong to, a family to belong to. And it's taken me an embarrassing length of time to realize what treasure this is. But I guess I've seen it more and more and more, the more aware I've become in different places, that suffering is a real part of our world. And it, it just is likely to happen that within a lifetime there will be chapters and periods where things go pear-shaped and where we seriously need the help and encouragement of one another. And I'm not wishing this on you, but all I can say is I'm so glad to know that even when such a time should come, God has arranged his family that we are there for one another. And I've seen and continue to see what God's family, the church, can do to support and help one another. It, it's an uh, essential ingredient of God's living church. And, and I just love to think that this evening service can grow into that kind of community. And of course, the shortcut way of making that happen, the way to speed it up, is to belong to a, a small group. Because this is far too, even though we're relatively small tonight, this is too big a group to be really getting to know one another enough. And Matt here, Matt, do you want to stand up just so that you can identify you? This is Matt. Matt heads our small group ministry up at St. Michael's. And if you're interested in belonging to a small group, he's the guy that you should see or write to, contact in one way or another, because this is an essential part of what it is to be part of this community that changes the world. Well, we've had the word, haven't we? I've talked about let the love show. I've talked about the worship. But none of this can be accomplished in your own strength and my own strength alone. The Holy Spirit absolutely has to be invited to empower all these things. All of them. I mean, it's so frustrating, isn't it, when you read the Word of God and it doesn't seem to yield anything to you, you have to ask the Holy Spirit to help. It, it's so frustrating when Jesus tells us to love everyone and you haven't got that resource in your heart, on your own, in your own strength. You have to ask for the Holy Spirit's help. But more than that, we read here that signs and wonders were done by the apostles. The miraculous stepped into this community. And I think that's something that God wants to do more and more and more. I can't magic it up. I can't make it happen. But we can make space for it to happen and ask God to make it happen. And I think we should never forget that God has come to help his people. And it, it's important to me that we don't just become a community of like Christian tadpoles with huge heads and small bodies because our head is full of muscular knowledge about God from the scriptures. But our experience of God is, is lightweight. And a way of protecting against that is just to make space for the Holy Spirit to come and bless. My wife and I, Liz and I, often talk about, because it's such fun to talk about, the times when we've seen the Holy Spirit at work. And there's nothing wrong with having fun in God's family. But it, it is really fun when God comes and blesses his people. And the Holy Spirit can do things in, in a once just like that, that would normally take years to happen. The challenge to us is you can't predict when it will happen. 
or how it will happen. But here in this evening service, and I would like to think the other services too, we want to make space to invite the Holy Spirit to come with his gift, with his presence, the whole banshee, to say, Lord, come and go with me. And the last of the five points is more subtle than all the others in a way. But the very last sentence in this passage is, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And there was a part of me that used to think, well, surely that was bound to happen anyway. Because there's something so intrinsically attractive about a group of people where all these things are going on. Why wouldn't you want to be part of it? A bit like when you walk into a supermarket and they deliberately pipe the smell of bread towards where you come in, thinking, well, now they're going to make their way to the bread counter, which would be very inaccessible, just because you smelt the bread. I mean, we have the expression, smelt the coffee. And, you know, you smelt the community likeness of Jesus. But why this is more subtle is because I think, just like there's that tendency to put ourselves on the throne, there is always a tendency for a community of God's believers to look inwards and kind of hug each other like that, and almost to protect themselves from what will happen when new people come in. And I've learned over time that we have to keep reminding ourselves that actually we do exist, we, we as a community exist for the benefit of people who are not yet members. And what we're doing here, I hope, will always be an open door to people who don't yet know who Jesus is. It would be just lovely to think that increasingly, whoever walks in, whenever they walk in, uh, will come one step closer to Jesus Christ. And it would be lovely to think that this is a service that we feel confident to bring our friends to. Now, I've unpacked quite a lot of the passage, at least I think I have, and I've just got one important thing to point out before I close. And it's the very first words of the passage. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship of prayer, etc. This stuff doesn't happen on autopilot. It doesn't happen casually. There is a correlation between when people intentionally seek after this and sacrifice themselves for this and give themselves to this. There's a correlation between that kind of commitment and God doing the rest. And I, I say that because it's true. And I actually think it's something that we've got to really pray about and think about, is how in earnest are we for this, to see this come. Um, and it, it's great, me, well, I think it's great, me setting a vision of what God could do. But if, if we just think, yeah, well, that warms my tummy, and uh, I'll go home and life continues as normal, nothing, nothing will happen. Because because it takes this kind of dedication. Many years ago now, I um, listened to a cassette tape, just the fact I say a cassette tape, 
gives the game away that it was many, many years ago. And um, it just sometimes you'll hear a message and for some reason God plants it in your memory bank and you never forget it. And that, for me, this was one of those messages. And oddly, it wasn't a sermon. It was just an interview. And it was an interview of three different couples who were invited back to this church, which had been their sending church, and they'd sent them off to plant new churches in different parts of America. So it was, it was an American church. And they came up on, onto the platform, and I just listened to these interviews. And what I heard was this. Each of the couples bore witness to the fact that they received this commission with enormous joy. And they felt it was terrific that God was on the case and they were really up for what they were being sent to do. And I thought, that's great. You, know, you have to have that at the beginning of, of any kind of enterprise for the Lord. So that bit didn't surprise me. That, that was wonderful. And then I was surprised. Each of these couples, and they were completely... Um, they hadn't rehearsed what they were going to say. They were just talking autobiographically from a different perspective from different parts of the country. They then bore witness to the fact that they soon discovered it was much more costly doing what they were doing than they'd ever thought. And they had individual stories, but it was not plain sailing. They, they encountered all kinds of opposition. And you had to say, really, that you had to think that some of this was spiritual opposition that they were opposed by the spiritual forces of evil, of darkness. And they had horribly costly stories to tell of what it cost them and the suffering they'd been through. Now, here in England, we don't very often do that. Um, and I'm not about to do that now either. But it, it, is, it comes with the grain. It is, it is what happens when you start an enterprise for God or you start to follow him in earnest. And then thirdly, they had each of them a wonderful story of how God came by his spirit and did more than the sum of the parts. And their stories would be different. Uh, it might be of provision, provision of somewhere to meet or of money to finance things, or it might be just a supernatural thing that God did. But it was more than just going through the motions. And I believe that this is going to be our story. You know, we, we set off with great hopes it's a, it's a great work of faith, I think, from the leadership of St. Michael's to say, yes, by all means, plant a new service in the evening. And it's a great work of faith from the community of soul survivors to say, yes, we'd love to help you. And it's been amazing. But it hasn't all gone smoothly. And we did find going every fortnight, we think we failed to build the momentum that's required. And as the next step of faith, we're going weekly. But I would expect that we will get challenged over the next few months, that the price of this enterprise will be high. But it's going to be, it's going to be something we need to be totally committed to because without that devotion, the whole thing will fall apart. And we pray, don't we, for the Holy Spirit to come and make a difference. And he will. God is faithful. God is faithful. And he loves it. He loves it when we trust him. And from my perspective as the vicar of this church, and I know the whole staff team agree with me, this is a venture of trust. This is a venture of saying, God, we're going to trust you. We're going to hold on and hold out for this. 
this community that we've just described from Acts, there's no reason in the world why you shouldn't build such a community here. We not just have our permission for it, we are crying out for it. We want to be part of it. Yeah? Does anyone want to ask me any questions? We have more than enough group, and I can do a bit of Q&A, see if you're awake. You are awake, that's just rude of me, sorry, I apologize. Anyone want to ask me any questions? Taking you by surprise, hasn't it? Slightly taking me by surprise as well. Well, how about we would just get into little groups, um, four to six people, and just pray about some of these things. Just not for long. So you, if you're not someone who likes praying out loud, don't worry, this will not last very long. Three minutes, probably. But just to pick out one of the things that I've highlighted and ask that God would bring this into our midst. Does that make sense to you? So just stand up. Maybe just tell each other your names and then just get straight to prayer because I will bring it to a close in three minutes. <laughs>